It's a good show. Welcome to You're Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. Grease lightning. Waka waka! <laughs> what, who does that make Wait, you think of? What? Grease lightning. Gr- I don't know. Greece. John Travolta. John Travolta. Oh, I've never seen Greece. You've never what? seen Greece? No. I don't wow. give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so John Travolta obviously was the star of Greece. I've been obsessed with John Travolta for a very long, for a time. long time. But um, not for positive reasons. Yeah. Not for positive reasons, no. I find him to be a very f- fascinating human being. And uh, Kirstie Alley was asked in an interview if she thought John Travolta is gay. Yeah. And John Travolta has publicly said he's not gay. He, uh, but f- rumors for well over a decade. Yes, so so I'll, I'll get into that. So what Kirsty said was, no, I don't think he's gay. I mean, I know him pretty well. And she refers to the idea that they didn't have a sexual relationship, but that they had an emotional relationship, <laughs> which, she would, which she said was worse than actually cheating on her husband. And then when she was asked why a relationship between Kirsty and John would never work, she said, well, I go to bed at 9 o'clock at night and wake up at 5 in the morning. So we basically wouldn't have seen each other. It would have been a disaster. But we're still friends after all these years. Now, this answer to me is so bizarre because it's like, that's not the qu- – it's not about your sleep schedule. Like, <laughs> John Travolta is the strangest person. He's a Scientologist, a devout Scientologist who is, in my opinion, sh- is so openly gay that it's almost like he's trolling us. And the rumors that you talk about well, have gone on – I wouldn't say he's so openly gay. Well, let me, let well, me explain. Yeah. The rumors that you're talking about have persisted for – Way over 10 years. Yeah. This guy has been seen in so many bathhouses. Uh-huh. He allegedly was paid— Let's, let's paid talk a, about verifiable things. He was—there was a lawsuit that was settled. Yeah. He's been in, seen in many bathhouses. He—there's uh, an incredible photo, incredible photo of him kissing the male nanny on the tarmac of his jet, to which he said, <laughs> "Best—we're best friends. Best friends kiss on the lips. <laughs> <laughs> he's he um he there is recently a bunch of photos of him from at gyms where he was doing a workout at three in the yeah, morning. He goes to the gym at, at very early in the morning and, and takes he will, photos. He will chat. Yes, will he'll chat up very like objectively super hot guys. And then there was one famous one many years ago where the guy's like, "Hey, can I get a picture with you?" And I think John, because I think the guy initiated it, and John's like, "Sure." And then the guy posted on Instagram. He's like, oh, I got – John Travolta just approached me at 3 the in the morning at the, at the, the gym. Also, <clears throat> also he um, – he, uh, there was – I mean I found some incredible photos of him flying in to the Australian soccer – the Australian Open to pose with the Socceroos. He's obsessed with the Socceroos, this Australian soccer team. Uh-huh. He is this he, – he is so strange to me and I feel like he, he does exude a lot of – Openly, I mean, open gay behaviors. Yeah, the kissing and, on the tarmac and the the gym selfie would certainly be su- suspect. And and of course, there were, I mean, so many allegations by masseuses who have said. Well, see, and that's the part that I 
I'll, I'll be honest, and this is got a bit of a Debbie Downer moment, but oh, I think no. I think a lot of this, <laughs> well, and you've said it too. I mean, the only reason why you're as obsessed with John Travolta possibly being gay is because you don't like John Travolta. Whereas we've had no. open conversations before about this obsessive need gay men specifically have in wanting to make everybody gay. Okay, so and, sure, yes, but wait, yes, wait, wait, yait, wait sorry, let me finish. Let you're, me finish. You're right. So there's this obsessive need, and the the talk of things that don't really matter, like. I saw so and so in a bathhouse, or I, 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 he takes pictures at the gym at 3 a.m. Those are not fucking gay reasons. Now, what is an open conversation that should be had is when a person, male or female, has a million dollar lawsuit against someone for sexual harassment. That is a conversation to have. That's something to discuss. Which he's that had? Then, that then, well, he obviously the masseuse. settled it the, with yeah. the masseuse. He settled it. Yeah. And, and so a few of them. that's a conversation where then the gay conversation comes in. But all of these other things, I just I find it tacky, frivolous, and dumb, honestly. I, I hear you. I think it builds a narrative that's kind of funny. I think I do think the Jim Selfie thing is ridiculous that he's like chatting up like literally if you if you just Google John Travolta Jim Selfie you'll see a picture of John Travolta with a model hot guy. I agree, but it's still it's like I I think I I think it's hilarious. To your point, I don't I am actually I don't like the obsessive nature by gay guys. I actually hate when gay guys are like Jake Gyllenhaal's gay. This one's gay. I'm like he fucked my friend. I I don't I truly I I do find that frivolous. Bob Vila's With John gay. Travolta, the thing that I that irks me and has always irked me is that <clears throat> it's almost as if he's p- protesting so much that at the same time it's this it is like a level of trolling where, as I was saying to you the other day, when he would go on Oprah, I remember this so distinctly. When he would go on Oprah in like the mid nineties and dance with Oprah and <laughs> let her, oh, he's so sexy. The audience is screaming, and his wife comes out, Kelly Preston, and they say, "Oh, we have so much sex. We have so much sex. We're always fucking." It's like what? And then and then he'd come out and, and speak so defensive. Carrie Fisher wrote. Carrie Fisher literally wrote oh, in Carrie. Out magazine, we don't care that John Travolta's gay. I mean, um, she, and then she told the advocate, I mean, my feeling about John has always been that we know and we don't care. Look, I'm sorry that he's uncomfortable with it, and that's all I can say. It only draws more attention to it when you make that kind of legal fuss. So to me, it's this bizarre need to be like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Settle lawsuits, settle lawsuits, tell publications, tell the media, I'm not gay. And then the weirdest shit, above all Above everything else, above the fact that he, like, is a Scientologist and, like, lives in the skies or whatever and, like, flies his own planes and makes the weirdest music videos and has hair pieces but pretends he's not balding. Above all that is the weird, dark truth that he denied his kid medication for seizures because he's a Scientologist. And that kid hit his head in the shower and died and and that is so sad and so tragic and watching that unfurl is like so painful and then to watch the the repercussions of that be uh, make a baby they made, they had a ba- they had a baby immediately had another baby mm-hmm. and she's like 50 and it's and it's just this bizarre like patching 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 that i think is probably based in scientology and and maybe being blackmailed in the, sure. in some capacity there we're all over the board right now but, but yeah we really are just, it, yeah. It, to I, me, it's I, just I, like, I get it i get what you're saying but i also think <laughs> i also, I I also think deal with when him. you perpetuate conversations like that in sort of really non-verifiable catty ways the the masseuse 
that's a conversation. The child thing, that's a conversation. But the whole like kissing on the tarmac, you know, the the the, fly, the soccer team, the gym workout, all that shit, it's the same shit that basically is just it's it's almost a game conversation. It's like it's not it's not real. It's it's just so this? dumb. Let, let me tell you about how I met him in high school. He came to Borders in downtown Ann Arbor to do a book signing right around the time Battlefield Earth, the worst oh, movie of all time. Oh, yes, came that out. is the worst. So I waited in a line with my friends for two like two or three hours to meet him and i had had a really bad pimple on my nose so i popped it but it was just repellent so i covered it with a band-aid yeah. but you know not a whole band-aid just like you know just the part that blends into your skin yeah, sure. but that started to fall off because just like my skin so is this I co- a real story i swear to god i covered the band-aid with more tape so I, I met John Travolta with a Band-Aid and tape over my nose. And I remember the first thing I said, I just walked right up to him. I was like, just so you know, here's what happened. I had to, I think I think it was like, oh I had a pimple. God. I had to cover with a Band-Aid. And now I got some tape over the, and I just remember he was like, okay, cool. Wow. <laughs> he signed my I met book. him. I met him once too. At yeah. A, a couple years ago when I was working for AIDS Walk at the AIDS um, Project Los Angeles fundraiser <laughs> I'm or not something. La- I'm not laughing at that. I'll t- <laughs> He's, He's not laughing at AIDS. He's yeah, unhinged. Yeah. He I can't know. control himself. I know. Um, and I gotta say, <laughs> he and Kelly were very, very nice and good. I'm to sure work. they're nice. And, and but but my point is, is that like I get that it's fun to like do this, oh. but at the same time, I'm also like. Does it do us as a community any good to have these kind of conversations? I'm the one. That's I don't like, think he owes us anything to come out. I don't care when celebrities yeah. don't come out, especially old school famous people. Uh, but it's then it becomes a farce to watch it. I mean, Alan, but why does Alan? It... What is funnier than seeing him on the finale season of Oprah getting out of an airplane and saluting Oprah as the audience screams for it? it like I know, what but are at the you? same time, you're talking. What ta- are you doing? If, let's say let's let's just, let's say that he is gay, right? Yeah. And for whatever reasons, because of his religion, because of his background, because of who he is, he can't come out of the closet. So then, what you're doing, even yes. though yes, he's a very powerful man and he's doing lots of things to cover it up. <laughs> yes. What you're doing then. Is saying you're making we're essentially like poking fun at a person who is unable to come out because of his religion, which is okay. But then it's but then why would you speak so poorly about gay people as if it's nonsense? He doesn't speak poorly about gay people. That's the thing. He does the opposite of that. He's so No, 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 no. He goes to fucking fundraisers supporting gay people. No, he doesn't. AIDS fundraisers supports gay people. Okay, did he go in drag? (laughs) He did in a movie. Terrifying. That was a terrifying character in a terrifying movie. And I will end on saying... Has he ever said anything anti-gay? I don't know. I will end on saying this. You guys need to watch the movie Old Dogs. Okay. Listen. I don't think I will. Please, please. I'm a hard pass already. Listen to me. Let me just explain very quickly. It is the strangest movie that somehow got made. It was supposed to be an R-rated movie, like a dirty movie of some kind. And Robin Williams and John Travolta somehow signed on to a movie that became a G-rated movie. And the entire movie is literally like you're on a drug trip. It is the strangest thing. And John Travolta's hair changes several times during the movie. (laughs) Also Adele Dazeem. I mean. Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazeem. Not even joking. Matt Dempsey. Yes. I'm not using the formal Matthew. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Dempsey. Matt, you are a s- therapist and social 
Sorry, not I should know this before we. Yeah. <laughs> no, not social worker, but uh, psychotherapist. Psychotherapist, which is just kind of like the umbrella term for anybody that does talk therapy. Mm-hmm. So, like, kind of more officially, I'm a clinical counselor. Got so you're a counselor, yeah. but you don't prescribe drugs. Exactly. Right. That's then I don't need you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you do cognitive behavioral therapy, yes. which I've done. CBT. CBD. Yes. CBT. For those in the know. Yes. Eclectic. <laughs> so wait, what's eclectic, humanistic, interpersonal, psychodynamic, and schema? Yeah. What's you, eclectic and humanistic? You're totally pulling this off of psychology I today, aren't am. you? Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that as a professional, when you sign up for it, that you have to just kind of click off all the ones yeah, yeah, that yeah, apply. So yeah. most of this stuff kind of relates eclectic is the most kind of umbrella term because it just means kind of all of it you kind Mm -hmm. of dabble in all of it but mainly uh in my training was kind of dominated by something called multiculturalism oh wow and so that perspective in therapy just takes into account the like variety of cultural identities that we have uh both kind of like you know the ones of privilege also the ones that are marginalized and kind of how they all interplay with each other to create (laughs) just our self-concept like how we feel Mm -hmm. about ourselves and then how we move through the world wow interesting yeah i'm more of a carl rogers humanist (laughs) type myself but (laughs) you're a kind heart but you also an empathetic soul oh that's a good start you also kind of you know you take your work and you Mm -hmm. put it out onto social media and there's a lot with youtube videos and you do a lot of sort of um how would you describe sort of your social press Oh, uh, I guess probably I'm, you know, kind of on YouTube. I just put out, I guess, these think pieces, just kind of whatever's on the top of my head, something mm-hmm. that I think is interesting, something that I think maybe hasn't been tackled. Hot Cheeto test. <laughs> <laughs> the different kinds of boogers, you know? right? This is like, oh, oh right? it's experiential. Um, but yeah, and so I just kind of kind of tackle that and uh, hopefully, you know, kind of people are interested in it or resonate with it. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I think especially for, you know, because I mainly speak to things that are relevant for gay men so it's a it's obviously a very niche thing yeah but uh so using as many names as possible (laughs) what (laughs) what would you say are, are there like common themes you hear a lot in, from from, in, yeah. from the gay, gay guy, from gay guy, from, yeah, from gay man or or lesbian. True, true. <laughs> Tease. Um, I would say uh, kind of a couple things. Like just the, kind of the most general stuff that comes up are um, just how difficult it was growing up, and some of the difficulties in knowing how to connect. And then when finally coming out, this idea that you're going to be able to connect with like your tribe, and then you go out there mm-hmm. and you're like, what the fuck? Nobody's connecting at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everybody's an asshole to each other. Yeah. So yeah. that, and then also you know, kind of stemming from that, just you know. Uh, fear of connecting, opening up, being mm-hmm. intimate, knowing how to do that in like a community that can be kind of harsh. Check, check, check. So you're describing Brent Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is... I mean, I, I just, you know, it, it's so interesting to hear, because I'm in therapy, I love therapy. Oh, cool. My therapist is gay, I've been d- doing therapy for years. Nice. And he, I don't think he specifies in just a gay male clientele, but sure. certainly has, I'm sure, I know that obviously as a gay man, he you know, is a. Uh, I, I couldn't. I couldn't see a therapist who wasn't gay. Right. I tried. Yeah. And I didn't mind the, those therapists. I, I like looking at their eyes when you talk about. Oh, I, actually, I don't like. <laughs> yes, a and gay Brent therapist. doesn't like to see a gay therapist. Uh, I, I, I will trust say, issues with gay people. And and I I <laughs> and, and I Brent's just, therapy. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't not. I couldn't uh, see a non-gay therapist because there is an element there of. Feeling the feeling the desire to be understood in a way that doesn't totally. require explanation. Yeah. Or and I, and in Brent's case, I understand like I would actually feel afraid of judgment 
not I know it's unethical, but afraid of some type of even the most minor judgment. I don't think it is from, a, mean, from a therapist who wasn't gay or un- understood the experience. That's not an unheard of thing. I mean, queer people have been dealing; they, they're still dealing with medical professionals who treat them or treat the questions they ask. And I mean, even with just prep, the, just a couple of years ago, you ask your general practitioner about prep, and they they had a varied opinions on totally. the use of prep and who would actually sure. go with prep. So and now prep it's become being a drug that uh, uh, HIV prevention right. medication right. and right. and. It's it's you know I mean it's it's become it, that's not an unheard of thing yeah and so I don't yeah I I have to have female therapists so I have a yeah. therapist and a psychiatrist and like I've always felt more comfortable with women yeah in I've heard I've heard this kind of on both sides about how you you know a lot of people feel more comfortable with gay guy therapists because you just kind of get it yeah and then also the flip of that too is oh God I'm afraid you're just another gay guy who's judging me you know yeah. so yeah. I kind of don't feel comfortable I'm more comfortable with you know women and I mean that last point I think is really interesting coming from a professional mm-hmm. like how how do you tackle that. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I was going to say, like, without giving away all your secrets or whatever. Yeah. Like, what, what, how how the fuck do you survive? How the fuck are we supposed to survive? What? That is a big question. <laughs> a big no, what question. sense? Like what, the apocalypse? When it comes, in a general sense, when it comes to treating gay male clientele like right is have, there... well okay let me let me phrase it in a form of a question um, <laughs> how do you deal with gay male clients who perhaps have a fear of judgment from another gay man who yes. perception wise looks and acts and is very much a part of maybe a weho establishment or a type of gay man that we feel some people feel we in general but also yeah. in outside the world feel persecuted or judged by Totally. I mean, that's kind of a tall order. There's no way that I could ever rid anybody of feeling uncomfortable in a situation. And so I really kind of release the need to try and do all of that Mm -hmm. as much as I can just check my own shit, check my own judgments, check my own kind of what's called countertransference that can happen in therapy and just make sure that um, like I can show up in the most loving, you know, kind of open, non-judgmental mm-hmm. way that I can. And hopefully that's going to be communicated. And I find that kind of most of the time it is because it's sincere. Yeah. Um, but again, you can't ever control what's, for that. What's counter-transference? So in therapy, the thing when you're a client and you go in and you work with a therapist, you know how sometimes you kind of like you have certain feelings about this person. Like somebody will come in and look at me and think, oh, there's just another Reho queen. That's mm-hmm. transference. It means, you know, kind of the experiences that I've had outside of therapy, I'm now transferring onto this person based off of very little information and, yeah. you know, kind of seems like that this is who you are and now I have feelings about that. Huh, interesting. So counter-transference then is just the reverse. What happens with the therapist, with the client? So, huh. I mean, I mean, speaking on that, like, that's an interesting thing because, like, you look at, you know, we all have our judgments about people and how we work and how we interact with people. Not me. And... I'm perfect. <laughs> me, 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 I'm perfect. No, but you look at people and the way they act, the way they talk, or the way they present themselves online, and you make a judgment based on past experience. Of course. So it's just, just an, I think, a natural thing. And, I mean, for you as a professional, people, gay men specifically, coming to you mm-hmm. uh, and looking at sort of, you know, your social media platforms mm-hmm. and sort of the, 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 the mental health work that you do put out online – and then looking, you know, over the course of sort of like like the, the shirtless photo uh, shoot that you did or, you know, certain videos on YouTube or whatever. And then they do they transfer those past judgments onto you about what they've received outside the gay community and from the gay community. How do you address that? And do you feel in some way 
that there's a responsibility you have as a mental health professional in sort of what you put out there with treating these patients. Absolutely. So I guess just to answer that first question of, you know, do I feel like a responsibility? I do feel a responsibility to make sure that I'm kind of representing myself and yeah. my intentions in the most authentic way that I can. Kind of how that translates is really just kind of up to me like there's mm-hmm. not necessarily kind of a kind of an ethical standard or guideline specifically about that like you know you shouldn't post shirtless pictures let's say because that's obviously it was what a delightful picture thank yeah. you so much very <laughs> good well, it's interesting because it. i was looking for a therapist a few years back and when i was starting the process i was for the first time i was like i'm gonna go to a gay therapist and it was interesting how I would you, – you find these websites that people advertise – therapists advertise themselves. And there were some people, therapists, who had headshots that were kind of sleazy. And, and I was ju- – I couldn't help but – Wait, what do you they, mean sleazy? It's like – Cheesy they were like or frosted, sleazy? Almost like – it was like a glamour <laughs> shot. Remember glamour shots? Yeah. And there were – I mean, therapists, especially in L.A., maybe this is the case everywhere, but, yeah. like, therapists have pictures of themselves in yeah. L.A. So like I headshots. They have headshots. Yeah. I mean, of course, everyone in L.A. has a headshot. Yeah. So it wasn't the, – the fact that the picture existed. I was also incredibly sensitive to could I find them on social media mm-hmm. and what was their presence like. And yeah. I got instantly weirded out if it was, like – if it was anything but this sort of – Classic, like I wanted to see a professor with a pipe, totally on a leather yeah. chair, which yeah. is, I think, an unfair judgment. But I couldn't help but feel that way. Yeah, it's. I don't think that's an unfair judgment because you know you're wanting to go to somebody that you feel like is going to be like almost paternal that you could go to, you could right. look up to, that kind of like would it, you know never hold them to a certain hit, standard. Yeah, would never even way. consider you sexual under any circumstances. Right. Well, it's interesting you say that. So I'm on Grinder, yeah, and I'm also pretty kind of open about that. Like I've got. That picture, like that shirtless picture of me with my face like in there. And I'm very open because that's what I try to promote is not having shame around sex, not having shame around, you know, kind of an openness in that way. And so I kind of put myself out there like that. And I recently just had somebody message me uh, where it was like kind of just just a body shot. They were fully clothed. And uh, and also in the bio, it said like mask and musk only. Yeah. And then I'll see you on Tuesday. And then then he messaged me and says, hey, I just want to let you know I'm another therapist in town. And uh, I find it fascinating that you've put yourself out there in such the way that you do. So, Candid, and though I think that we should be able to have a right to our sexuality, haven't you thought about the disadvantages of this and the, and the kind of transference issues that your clients would have? Yeah. You know, I've known therapists where this has been damaging to their practice and blah, 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 blah. And, mm-hmm. I've, and I've seen clients that didn't want to come to you because of this. Yeah. And, of course, my shit gets stirred up, and I'm just like, this queen is coming for me on grind. Yeah, (laughs) sure. I need to get ready for clients right now. How does that make you feel? Well, that made me feel it, like... Because I have my own fears. Like, am I am I doing things for the wrong reason? Is yeah. is this not okay? Is this um, damaging, or is this making other people feel a certain kind of way? So those are n- normal fears to have, and so my yeah. shit got stirred up. But I also know how to like temper that and not react to it. So I gave, mm-hmm. I like, took a beat, and a couple hours later, I went back and I was going to try and like engage, and he had already blocked me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I saw wow. I saw my therapist on Scruff years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it. But but I would oh, say if so I saw funny. him shirtless, I think it would have weirded me out. Sure, I totally get that. <clears throat> he really? wasn't. Yeah. No, he was like clothed, and I was like, okay. I mean, I blocked him immediately Button because I don't. Pipe. Yeah, smoking <laughs> a pipe on a couch. But I. But I do. I mean, I think. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it. 
I don't I don't know what the where the line is blurred, but it like I would be freaked out if I saw my therapist like shirtless. <clears throat> I think because but it's, it's oh sorry. I was going to say because for me, I think there's a weird there's a line between um like you being authentically you, mm-hmm. but then also this like fitting into this like sexual grid. Right. Yeah. And I'm and this is just me, but I wouldn't want to see my therapist in a sexual capacity sure because i because i want it to be this like sexless you know this like totally clean relationship with parameters where there's none of that there yeah and i think and that for me is just where i would where i would see it and be like i can't i can't yeah i get it and i blocked it and i had to block him with just his face (laughs) yes just the pipe yes (laughs) i think i think there's i i had a thought that it's like i i I've heard of stories before of like kindergarten. Te- this is a, this is a big example. This is big. A kindergarten teacher who made porn in the past. Mm, yeah. So it's someone who is has first of all the right to do By whatever the way, they Brent want with it. Taught kindergarten. Just so you yeah, know. Right. taught kindergarten. <laughs> uh, no, someone who has the right to do whatever they want with mm-hmm. their body. Someone who is in a sensitive position. Yeah. That is unaffiliated with their porn past, but. Uh, there's a there's a world in which I could see parents being f- not comfortable with a porn star former porn star teaching their kids kindergarten, um, but I think in in those instances I've always I've always agreed that that's that's that person's right to to be yeah. a porn star in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you know, just because you're a therapist, Matthew is not a porn star. Matthew's not a porn star. <laughs> but just because you're a therapist doesn't mean you you shouldn't be allowed to be shirtless whenever yeah. you want. You right. know? I mean, I think there's a difference though, and this is something, and I, I want to get to your Purdue privilege video because it sort of ties into that. Um, so, like, I'll be honest. I I think I saw the pretty privilege video, like, because it kind of did some rounds. It like went viral or something. I don't. I hate that word. It went. Um, it was a. It was like a gay. It was like a. It was like there were articles on it and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I didn't. I didn't know you. I I, I know you now. You're very nice. <laughs> um, but I when I saw it initially, I was like this douche. Like, I mean, just that's what I said in the video. And let me, yeah, I'm gonna yes, explain sir. it. So right. like, okay. so I and I know and I know you said that in the video and I watched it again last night. So the video. <laughs> just essentially you describing sort of, I mean, pretty privileged, pretty yes. much speaks for itself, that that there's a certain advantage based on the genetics that you, you said it yourself, genetic lottery, you won the genetic lottery, that you have from societal, both in terms of employment and sex and life and general access to things, mm-hmm. if you look a certain way, just like white privilege, if you look a certain mm-hmm. way, you get certain things. And I get the concept of it, and I understand it, and watching it again last night and talking with my boyfriend more about it, it, it sort of even helped me not think of you as a douche, which I love because you're not a douche. Um, you're but, I'm not, a but I also want to be Thank honest you. because I'm sure a lot of listeners probably yes. saw it, didn't watch it, and was like, this douchebag. Right. And so I'm probably like a lot of people who thought you were a douchebag. Yes. And guys, he's not a douchebag. Mm-hmm. He has great hair. <laughs> um, but that said, I do take, there's something about it mm-hmm. that I find arrogant. Yes. And, 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 and not in the sense of, you know, I don't think you're arrogant. What I'm saying is, like, there's a difference between white privilege because you can't control your race. Sure. You were born a certain way. Pretty is so subjective mm-hmm. that, you know, who thinks you're attractive is very different from who thinks El- Elliot thinks attractive. Well, or who, how dare you? You know what, Alan? You, you how know, dare you? But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and so, like, there is a level of arrogance even in saying, talking about pretty privilege. Sure. That then, by you saying that and applying it to yourself, I then think... 
this is just another way. This is essentially the same thing as a shirtless picture on Instagram. It's mm-hmm. a thoughty picture. It's a mm-hmm. way to separate yourself from everybody else mm-hmm. and stop a conversation. And I wanted to ask you about that yes. and sort of what you thought about that and, and more of your intention behind that video. Yeah. Oh, my God. This was a video, actually, that I wanted to do probably for about seven years when I saw Sybil Shepherd on Oprah's <gasps> final farewell season. <laughs> that just You're made me love you. So I saw that episode, and I remember hearing Oprah talk about it. Kind of, It was in like her life class like the following year or whatever. Yeah. And she just said that in the 25 years that she did this show, she never, ever had one person come on who was a model or like an attractive celebrity or anything like that that would actually own up to the fact that they yeah. had this advantage. I've had a few awkward moments physically growing up myself, but overall I was kind of a cute kid and a good-looking young person. But I remember there was this one time when I was about 12 years old feeling particularly awkward with glasses and braces. And I was in the car with my friend's grandma and I said to her one day, we were like chatting it up as any good young gay boy would do with an older woman. (laughs) We're chatting it up and I just said to her, you know, I'm gonna um, get my glasses off, I'm gonna get my braces off, and then I'm gonna be cute and then people are gonna want to talk to me more. And she just looked at me and said, oh, honey, you are already so cute and so handsome with the glasses and braces. And there was just something about the way that she said it that legitimately felt sincere. Like, I didn't think she was giving me lip service. And I believed it and it reassured me and it calmed me down. And that's actually kind of been, overall, the experience in my life, the kind of feedback that I've gotten. You know, and so the experience that I've had then is one of pretty privilege. You know, anytime she would ask it, they would, they would always skirt it and kind of play the modesty card. And Oprah's like, modesty's not real. So, okay, we're not having yeah. an honest conversation. <laughs> Except when Sybil Shepherd came on, she went in. Of and course she, she was did. just Who, yeah. Oprah went in? No, oh, Sybil, Sybil Shepherd. Shepherd. Yeah, Oprah just, like, asked her questions and she because it was about aging. And she said, oh, my God, yeah, it's, like, really difficult aging. Da, da, da. She became jealous of her own daughter walking down the street, getting wow. more attention oh, than wow. she would. And, you know, she had become, like, she was kind of born into it. She talked about her own genetic lottery, right? Like, she didn't yeah. earn it. It was just a thing that happened for her and uh, and it opened all of these doors and Oprah was like thank God finally someone answered honestly so when I saw that I remember being like Oprah likes it I can do it Um, and so I think the same things often yeah Yeah, he does he definitely does but so it was just kind of on the back burner and at the time I remember thinking like I don't even know how the fuck I'm supposed to do this right now because I didn't feel totally equipped to have that conversation but uh, years after I just kind of was re-inspired by it and thought like you know what I think I can do this Mm -hmm. so I did it but the the one thing that I wanted to do differently than I've ever heard it done before, I kind of like say this a little bit in the video, is Sybil Shepherd was fantastic. She was totally honest. She went right in. She, she was also fantastic. speaking from a place where she's kind of like now like beyond the privilege because of aging. And anybody else, um, you know, who's kind of talked about it has had some kind of caveat. And so I think this is the part where it can definitely come across as arrogant because I didn't go in in any other way to talk about my own insecurities or yeah. like things that I struggle with because I didn't want to condescend. I just wanted to say, like, look, here's the privilege. This is what it is. These have been the advantages for me, and this is how I think it's problematic when we're not having a more honest conversation about the fact that this is a fucking thing. Yeah. And especially somebody but speaking my, from a place of privilege. And so, what I mean, in, and I, I, I hear that completely, and I think acknowledging it is one thing, but then talking about ways in which you incorporate tackling it in your everyday life and sure. and that's something that I think... Tackling what in my everyday life? In terms of, like, are you using your pretty privilege and just maintaining the status quo of 
being friends with the same type of people who are also pretty and going to the same things with just the pretty people. And it's like the, it's yeah. the you know, are you just maintaining you know that status quo and just talking about it to talk about it? Or are you living it actively to tackle it? Totally. So I kind of I did put a lot of thought into how I was going to even tackle this conversation to put it out there. And I decided against talking about, you know, kind of like the specifics of what I do, the kind of more prescriptive part of it. Yeah. Um, I guess just because I kind of didn't want to kind of like go into like, and this is what you should do, right? Exactly. It's like, okay, this guy's going to fucking tell us this now. Yeah. So I didn't, so I didn't want to do that. So it was a fine line. And but what do you do? What about, oh, so what do I do in real yeah. life uh, to tackle? Well, I think that's, I mean, I think that's sort of like it, how my broadening like, like kind in, of in my sense, definition like, of beauty standards. When I watched it initially and I, at first, that's what I was craving the answer from you. Like acknowledging you have pretty privileges, one thing, acknowledging right. that you're, you're living, you're not just living off of this pretty privilege and right. you're actively sort of incorporating different types of people into your life and you're not viewing people and, and dating people in the same way and acting and treating people in the same way. Like, sure. What? How can pretty people, if you will, right, not live off pretty privilege? I think it's. I think it's really enticing that if you're kind of like if you're somebody who benefits from this pretty privilege, that you're gonna just want to keep like hoarding as many kind of like you know, yeah, like insta people. Because you, you see that I mean? all the time. Yeah, for sure. I. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I don't think I do that, and yeah. I think I'm kind of really intentional about the kinds of people that I want to surround myself with, mm-hmm. and their appearance isn't a part of that for me. Yeah. Um, so you did pass my it's, douchebag it's, test. It's, it's, it's hard. Remember that I've talked about in this podcast before, the douchebag Instagram test where you look at someone's Instagram and if the first sort of nine photos, yeah. I guess three, three, six, nine, yeah. yeah, the first nine photos is all shirtless, all a selfie, and all men, <laughs> and they all look the same, they're a douchebag. And you don't have that. You have oh, thank you. thoughtful things, oh, words, you have women, you, you have different types of people. It's wonderful. I always say well, you can you. also yeah. play the game of... Does this person know a woman? Uh, yeah. You just look for <laughs> a yeah. single yeah. woman. Exactly. Yeah. But I do, th- I do think it's hard because, uh, because I think that I think we don't talk about it a lot. But the way we we the way we make friends and the people we make friends with, I think most often aligns with how much money we make and how we look. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most con- so? like if you go to a bar. I think so. I think. It's very consistent when you see even people not in groups. No, even not knowingly, you're saying, Absolute. without intention. By the way, ask every straight guy you know, uh, you know, like kind of a macho straight guy, be like, who do you find good looking? And they'll be like, oh, man, I don't, I don't, I don't think guys are good looking. I, I couldn't tell you. And then, then you say, well, why are all of your friends like this same level of good looking as you? <laughs> why are your friends like... Because I've I've taught I've had coworkers who are like really handsome people and I've seen their friends, and and they'll be like oh I I don't know if that guy's good looking oh that's interesting because every one of your friends is as good looking as you are and I think we naturally gravitate mm. to these people that kind of look like us whether we consciously acknowledge it or not um, I don't know I mean for me it's like <clears throat> when you talk about something like like having the privilege of like being attractive it's so like it's such a it's such a like specific um, talking point mm-hmm. when and I and the, for the reason that I think it could be problematic is because and I'm sure you speak to this all the time but like gay male culture mm-hmm. especially in a place like LA is so toxic feels so um, it feels so looks based yeah. in a way that uh, that that when I stop and think about it I'm like I don't imagine that this 
echo chamber that is L.A. and mm-hmm. WeHo, especially for gay guys, mm-hmm. is the same thing in Akron and the same thing in Kennebunkport, or you know, and <laughs> and so Not I'm like, seen in Kennebunkport, Maine. <laughs> Not a huge scene there, but, but it's just sure. like, it's just so. I mean, it, I mean, that's where I'm like, I don't know. I find it, I think that might be the problematic part of it for me, where it's yeah. like. It feels so. It feels so. To me, it feels like not realistic because I'm. Yes, pretty privilege exists, but it's like, it's. It feels like a like a sensitive thing to talk about when it's like everyone, especially as gay guys, are trying Mm -hmm. to keep up Mm -hmm. some semblance of of looking a certain way, right? And it becomes too difficult to parse it out as privilege versus not privilege. Sure. No, I totally understand that, you yeah. know. And um, you know, obviously if you know beauty standards are hopefully, you know, continue to be broad and continue to expand and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you kind of can't deny the fact that there is this kind of like one standard um the, this kind of like much narrower version of mm-hmm. what typically society has deemed like the gold standard, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's my kinda... therapist puts it as saying that it's like a nordic it's a nordic quality. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a overarching um uh an overarching and mass need for consumption of a Nordic Nordic features, mm-hmm. tall, Caucasian, mm-hmm. like certain, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, um, light features. Like it's it's it is a real thing, but most people don't have it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I would, but I also I think, think it's fair I also think even though that is like Instagram is definitely a few uh, just a, a source for a lot of this aesthetic based sort of uh, level you're supposed to meet and, mm-hmm. and it's becoming that it's fueling that but also I think what you're doing in terms of putting out the conversation on mm-hmm. just sort of mental health awareness amongst gay men and let's be real like gay men suicide rates in this country are not great mm-hmm. like it's needed right now to be able to talk about these issues any issues and pretty privilege depression how we feel sexually how we feel about ourselves it's really important but also too you have shows like RuPaul's Drag Race that are showing that you know Drag queens aren't out of drag always the prettiest mm-hmm. people, but you have these sort of like super hot dudes who are in speedos loving on these drag queens, and on some capacity, seeing that in the world, I think, is is bringing different types of people together mm-hmm. and maybe breaking down barriers. So that totally. this Nordic quality that's the standard isn't necessarily the standard anymore. No, but but it. I mean, I think it still remains it's across still... the board with straight people too. Yeah, of course, it remains the standard. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think it's. I, I hope that we can just keep like disseminate, you know, disseminating rather totally. than hyper focusing. Yeah, I, I would. I would say the one thing, like, if I could go back and redo that video, because it's you know, I, I have to be aware of the fact that not a, that there was a lot of people that didn't connect with the video. Yeah, and that's uh, that's unfortunate because you know, obviously, I'm just trying to put a message out there, and so if it's kind of not working exactly as I thought, I have to consider, okay, what could I have done differently? And I think probably the one thing is that prescriptive part. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just kind of saying like this is this has been my experience and whatever, but also like you were asking about like what do you do with that then? Yeah. You know, how can you actually find some way to help kind of broaden the scope and kind of and change can, the Yeah, change the narrative a little bit. But I will say I was the douchebag in that situation because I literally just read you from not only the way you look, you're a very handsome man, great hair, like I said, but I immediately read like this douchebag talking about pretty privilege talking to me. I got curves. I'm great. And, and I immediately I immediately read into that. And then I looked at your Instagram. And I was like, nah, it seems interesting, but nah. And then now, uh, you know, meeting you, but also like just 
like even just last night looking more into your stuff, I think you're doing something really important, which is engaging gay men in a conversation about mental health. And well, so, like, what do you hope that people get from your work and what you're doing? I hope that people get not just from the stuff that I speak about, but also how I put myself out there, mm-hmm. myself personally, is... You know, just how can you find ways to open yourself up more? How can you be more vulnerable? How can you try to tap into more of a sense of who you are authentically when you grew up in a world that told you that that was shit? Mm -hmm. And actually just lean into it even when it's uncomfortable to open yourself up, knowing that we're in a community of a bunch of wounded other people. um, And so it's going to be difficult. But to do that and kind of like be the light, you know, kind of be the change you want to see even when it's not totally met in kind. Totally. I'm always, you know, just to a point you just made, I... Maybe I'm naive and I feel like I get laughed at for this, but I always feel like I'm surprised when I met with or I encounter a nastiness or a, a, a hyper negativity and, and just like feelings that make me feel terrible about myself when I'm like, I always am like, aren't we all mm. coming from a sim in some capacity? Didn't somebody at some point, even if you had the most privileged mm-hmm. and um, uh, progressive liberal background, like surely as a gay person, you must have felt some semblance of feeling like an outsider or feeling, you know, um, um, uh, uh, isolated from your community. So I'm always just kind of like. And I know it's very naive, very Pollyanna of me, but I'm like, why would you be so mean or, or, or mm-hmm. why would you why would you why would you be so thoughtless or inconsiderate or purposely mean mm-hmm. to another one of your brethren? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and sure. I well, never I, I never it, understand I, it. Well, because it's a, sorry, it's especially yeah. it's especially with our brethren because it's 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 just this convenient mirror. And so if yeah. you're treating other people nasty, you can't even imagine what they're doing to themselves inside on a daily basis. Well, but it's also I mean, that's I, crazy. I, but I will say yeah, it's projection. To, to that. Even though people are treating other people nasty, in a nasty way, there's a lot of assholes out there. There's also sort of this frustration with, like, for example, the thing I posted or you posted, we both posted recently about Max Emerson. Oh. And he posted this, like, picture of him on Fire Island with his butt out on the dock. And, and then the whole – but it wasn't even, like – What about like, his hole? Like, yeah. But the, the whole thing wasn't necessarily about, like, just a sexy picture for him to get, you know, vain likes. That would have been fine. Whatever. Take do that picture. But the, the – the caption was getting ready to go support Host gay of- homeless youth. <laughs> oh, right. And it's like, right. this is fucking absurd yeah. that you, you are, you're not even mm. taking a, you're not even using your capital, your millions of followers to take a picture of you at the event raising money to support gay homeless youth to not be homeless. Also, and instead you're mm. doing it naked. And, yeah. and to add to that point, by, it's like, also, by the way, in a visual and just in a, purely visual surface level it's like do you think that gay homeless youth are looking for you on instagram to no. feel inspiration mm. no they see you on this it, it there's a disconnect uh, uh, allow me allow me to read my favorite instagram post of the last two months uh this guy who i follow uh post a picture and the caption says the what are you reading challenge Post a pic of you nude with what you're currently reading. <laughs> and the best yeah. part is he's nude and he's covering his junk with a book. And you can't, you can't even read the title the of the book. The, the title uh, it's the too book. far away. Well, and so, like, that person, this person, things like that. And then speaking of things like pretty privilege, yeah. it's like these people are using pretty privilege yes. in sort of a pseudo sort of cause capacity when in reality it's just coming off as arrogance. So when you talk about nastiness, it's like, well, some of the nastiness – 
comes from a place that maybe is a bit warranted because they're frustrated that this is the these are the people with millions of followers. Where's the where's the the the, the black kid in Atlanta who does ball culture? Why doesn't that kid have fucking millions of followers for the amazing things yeah. he's doing? Oh, it's because he doesn't look like this white dude who mm-hmm. has his ass out all the time. Mm-hmm. And so there's. There's some warranted to the nastiness, I think. I, I don't understand. Know. I, well, I absolutely understand the frustration with that because it's like, okay, this is also kind of what I've spoken about, which is that the privilege isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what are you doing with it? Mm-hmm. You know? And so if you have any kind of privilege, whether it's being pretty, male, white, like whatever it is, you know, use it for something. And yeah. if you're only using it because you're just getting attention, so then that's ego serving. You're just serving mm-hmm. yourself as opposed to how can you find a way to, you know, be able to spread information or some kind of hope, yeah. inspiration, positivity, anything that could be useful for other people, that could be of service to other people. You can read a book. You can't see the yeah. title of the book, but you can read a book. I don't know what book he's even, reading. But. Even if Max was like going to like, you know, an obesity epidemic awareness fundraiser or whatever, and he sat naked in a picture next to me naked, like that, <laughs> that would at least be oh, like I get relevant. I, you I get, get that now because I'm, I'm yeah, obese. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, yeah, okay. I have, and one, just one more question. Yeah. So as um, uh a therapist who does who has like a public persona yeah. and you make videos and you know you get a lot of blowback for them to yes. you know but with that all being said do you find that there's more success or failure in terms of having a public persona as a therapist does it like does it work in your favor do you feel like it works against you does, does it, it benefit you, you does it bring you clientele or how does how does that um, unfold. I, yeah, no, it, it does. It does bring me clientele. So it does kind of work for me. And of course, like I'd be lying if I didn't say that there wasn't some part of just however people see me, kind of what I look like and want to come in the door for that. Mm-hmm. Certainly not going to be enough to keep them in there, though. Yeah. Um, and so, but I also think, you know, obviously kind of how I put myself out there and the things that I talk about, there's also kind of like some substance to that too. So um, so it helps to really demystify, especially when therapy can just be a scary thing. Who are you going in to see? What's mm-hmm. it going to be like? So you kind of just automatically get a flavor of that. It helps just kind of break that it's mystery really down a little bit. No, I think that's really beneficial. Yeah. I will beneficial. say, I think, I mean, there is a very funny visual in my head of um, like the old Jewish therapist that I've had doing the same video as you, being in the field, taking off his shirt, just a thing, you know, not I being mean, able to see into the camera. I, I, that's my favorite. Just imagining. Bring me a cup. Pretty privilege. I will, and, and we'll let you go in a second. But I should say that uh, the best. I went to a therapist, ironically, in New York because, mm-hmm. you know, she was. My friend went first and was like, you have to go see this woman. She is the craziest character you'll ever encounter. And she was this. All of her Yelp reviews are horrible. (laughs) Horrible. 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 She's averaging one and a half stars on Yelp. She is an incredible, (laughs) incredible source of of comedy. She has, from what I remember, four offices in the same, like, ten block radius in New York, which makes no sense. One's in a hotel. One's in an office building. And she literally is this tiny woman with very ju- big Jewy hair. I want to be her. You don't because she has a headpiece with like buttons on it and would sit and had and would like Why does she have a headpiece on? I don't know because she's buzzing people into different buildings. She has a fax machine going. She has a copy <laughs> machine. She has a chair. It, it was the cr- most incredible thing and she is so mean and berates her patients which you can see in the Yelp reviews where she yeah. she would talk she told me that I should do a Yiddish, something Yiddish, where it was like, oh what my are you t- god, she is, she is baffling. And there are my friend and I 
could could only see her for so long before being like, we need to go to normal people to get medication. <laughs> yeah, but it's one hundred fifty dollars a pop. Oh, yeah, no, this was no. That's the thing. She takes insurance so much. She, she's a she's a crook, and so she's playing the system where she's trying to get as many patients in as possible, and that she can charge them the charge the health insurance companies sure. the most. So much so that she has this very bizarre like. Everything is decorated like a bizarre Victorian Laura Ashley circus thing. And you'd go in the office and she would say, first you'd she'd have to, as an initial patient, you'd fill out a pile of paperwork, yeah. all of which asked a lot of unsavory questions about your ethnicity. Because she wanted to be like, are you Jewish? Are you Jewish? She wants Jews. Yeah. And you'd, you'd pay her by putting your copay, whether it's a check or cash, in the tiniest of envelopes, <laughs> the tiniest of envelopes, you'd squeeze it in like, like a chip for a masseur. Yes, and she would open these bizarre French doors. <laughs> hand hand me. She would say like, "Give me the money," but she didn't want you to talk about it. She'd be like, and then she, like as if she's above the financial element of it. She is oh, incredible okay. and has. Well, it sounds healthy. Oh, yeah. and she's released books. She would put books oh. about movie characters. Is, I don't okay, know. This Who is knows? way oh, too I'll much. Send you, I'll send you, I'll send you guys on a yellow thread. <laughs> I saw my therapist at the Korean spa. This is, uh, he's an old therapist because he moved. But I saw my therapist at the Korean spa, uh-huh. We Spa here in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I think he was more uncomfortable than I was. Well, because you were looking yeah. for naked. But, yeah, I but was, Alan likes being naked. I was naked. He was at a place that you're all supposed to be naked, and yet he was like awkwardly like not communicating. But well, we were next to each yeah. other. Isn't that, a, isn't that a thing? Not to, you it's don't want to communicate. Yeah, with your you can't. Client. I mean, but that like, is kind of an in ethical. The same situation. It doesn't matter. It's an ethical concern because if you're my client and I see you out and and I go up to you and say like, oh hey, if you happen to be with these guys and like, who's that? Now you're put in this uncomfortable position if you're yeah. not even open about the fact that you're in therapy. Right. So I can't do that to you. But so we it's both entirely were alone. up to you. Yeah. Uh, that Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's not the answer you wanted. Right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Thank you for Appreciate having me. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. thanks, Matt. And another thing. Pets. We love them. We have them. <laughs> That's uh, a good Brent intro, really. Pets. We love them. We have them. I actually don't have a pet. Nope. Well, so I'm you have shut a pet, this down right now. You have a pet now. in Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. You have a pet in Michigan. Yeah, my parents have a – we have a Gordon Setter. I've had two. We've had my parents have had two Gordon Setters uh, in my life. They are the absolute sweetest type breed of dog in the world. I give him literally thousands of mouth smoochies. You have a very narrow love for very specific animals. I get angry at a lot of dogs that I don't like. Right. Uh, I yeah. I I I always make jokes about throwing Elliot's dog in the oven. <laughs> and my dog is uh, wonderful. Would, and your perfect. dog is wonderful, and I very much. Well, you also much you like aren't an animal person. I mean, you. You, you 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 like call it it like you call my cat it, it. it and like does this, and what's so interesting that. is that you know, it, it like it gets on my lap a lot and I find that a little frustrating <laughs> exactly times, because he I... knows you don't <laughs> like animals and and as soon as as soon as a cat reads you don't like animals the cat's like well I'm gonna get on you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah I I do I'm I'm very particular about the pets I like and mm. I. I th- I have just this weird visceral reaction to dog barking mm. and like when dogs are barking. Even my own dog mm-hmm. back in Michigan, I just – I'm like, let's get it quiet as fast as mm. possible. That's how it is from with, with babies crying. Yeah. I want to yeah. just it's – an, it's an inherently genetic thing, I think, that I just want to, yeah. like, kill just, the baby. Really? <laughs> See, now, oh, I don't know if that's crazy. genetic. I feel yeah. like it's very counter-evolutionary. I'll say I love – 
all animals. Dog barking doesn't really bother me, nothing. Except last night, you, I did you hear... for killing babies? I am. Last night, I did watch a um, coyote eat a raccoon. <gasps> Holy shit. Wow. In my back, in my back sort wow. of apartment parking lot, parking which was, which was fascinating. Yard? Wow. Oh, no, I was wow. going to say yard. Uh, that was Ate great. it alive? Ate it alive. Holy oh, shit. shit. By the way, yeah, by the, the way. The thing's just yelping and screaming. You know what you forget? You know what you forget? Every animal in nature that doesn't die of a heart attack is eaten alive. Yeah. All animals are basically eaten alive. Because Unless a lot they of die an- of old age, yeah. quote unquote. That's which the animal don't. kingdom, no. right? I mean, I, I, love, I love animals. I didn't, I will say I did not always love animals. I was not always a huge animal person. It was... Um, it was during chemo. I was staying at my friend's house. I didn't have an animal then. And she had a dog. Oh, and my Virgil. other friends had a dog, Virgil and Chucho. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't really care about animals. I just didn't. It just wasn't a thing. Because my family always had annoying animals. And so yeah. I just didn't give a fuck. Sure. And then during chemo, there's – it's emotional for me. But there's like – I was always on the couch downstairs in the living room. And Virgil, who's the kindest, sweetest oh, the dog, sweetest I mean, Muppet. the sweetest little dog, little Muppet dog, would sit at the my my end of my feet. And Chucho would sit right at my side on the ground. And whenever someone would come up to the couch, the dogs would get real agitated. Yeah. And they would try to, like, move around so that the person couldn't come <laughs> right. towards the couch, sit on the couch, couldn't do anything on the couch. And in some weird way, it was like they knew something was up yep. and they were surrounding me. And it, it just... It was just so touching. It just, yeah. I, yeah. I, and it made me huh. just in love with animals. And now I have my cat Fraser, and I, I love that. Pussy. I love him. And and Michael, Michael doesn't give a fuck about animals, but yet he loves Fraser. He's obsessed yeah. with Fraser, and Fraser likes him better than me now. I, I love animals, and yeah, you've got a great dog. Got a great dog, and grew up with a great dog. Um, and <laughs> ultimately, I, I, uh, I, I've tried to be a cat person, and I just. I can't get into them. I do love Alan's cat. I love Frasier. He's a dog, though. But that's the thing. It's only it's only the cat. I only like cats when people are like it's basically a dog. I like a cat that is like your cat is actually like sweet and and plays around and yeah. is cute. Yeah. But I'm I'm genuinely as much as I get into the face of random dogs that I love that I'm just like oh you're so cute that I should be afraid of. I'm really truly petrified that not Frasier, but most cats will. Look at me, and I'll be petting them, and they'll just claw my skin off. Sure, and I, mean, I don't you know can, if you can protect yourself. I know, it. but I don't know. I don't know if that's a primitive thing. I'm a, I'm so afraid of. Wait, I love cats. I love Elliot's primitive brain. It's the cats are going to kill me, and I need to kill babies if they make <laughs> yeah. noise. Not kill, but just make <laughs> it quiet. Animals read that though. Animals can tell if you're hesitant towards them, and they oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. read into it, and sometimes they read it as like. Fear, yeah, and it's it's a and re, they start becoming afraid of you, and that's part of the reason why I think they they yeah they do that. I mean, I've always I, my mom was always a big animal person. My mom always said like approach an animal like you would approach a human, and shake their hand, like they're just just mm. just approach an animal. If you're at ease, they'll be at ease. You're good. And if the dog comes at you, do the dog whisperer thing where you take your fists and you kind of just show who's boss. I also mm. always trust a pet. Who has a human name because the owner show that to me is shows that the owner takes it seriously and has an earnestness that is values their pet yeah. over like their reputation. Mm-hmm. I'm also glad to hear that there's someone else who quotes the dog whisperer as much as my parents. <laughs> Wait, I have to also add, I have to add this because it's my one of my favorite things. Alan, you grew up with a dog named 
Yeah, let me explain. Yeah. So I, my, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, my stepdad's name is Charlie, and we lived on a street in a very tiny house, and next door there was a dad named Charlie, a son named Charlie, and a dog named Charlie. And on the other side of the place, there was a dad named Charlie and a kid named Charlie. And so when... My stepdad and my mom got the dog. Well, first it was a cat, and then it, it became many animals. But um, they got the cat. They named it Charlie, just uh-huh. to sort of be in line with all the other Charlies. Yeah. But then they started— That, to me, also already makes no sense. Every—it was a thing. There was, like, multiple <laughs> yeah. names Charlie, no so they kept it. So then after that animal died, they named the next animal Charlie. And then after Again, that animal bizarre. died, they named—they kept naming every preceding so animal Charlie bizarre. until— this last few years ago, when the last Charlie died, and my mom was really upset, and I and she was like, "I gotta get, a, I gotta get a new dog. I gotta need a new Charlie." And I'm like, "For the love of God, please do not name the fucking dog Charlie." And I was like, "Why? Why?" So she gets this dog. Think about all the names in the world. Yeah, there are it's like a, so but many it's like a names. running joke. It is kind of a running joke. Yeah. So, but, but with this yes. dog, with this dog, he got a different name. She, decide, proud to she say. decided that that it was time to change things up. Yes. So Give she, the dog a, a different name wait, than Charlie. Wait, wait, wait. So I know. She, I'm, li- I'm leaving it for you. So she sees this dog, and she's like, "That's our dog. That's our dog." <laughs> and she named. Him, our, our dog. dog. Oh, that's right. Odie. Right. Odie. Odie. Our dog. Odie. Our dog. That is the strangest. <laughs> she is the least creative human being in the world. Funniest thing I've ever heard. A dog named Odie. Our dog. <laughs> our dog. What? Yeah. Like, I've heard people name their dogs Feldman and, you know, Bicycle. I'm my friend Our Lori dog? named her cat Hamburger. It was really cute. I don't know. See, at a certain point, that becomes cloying to me. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, yeah, you're oh, cloying a little too hard. Did you say cloying? Muffin? Muffin. Clo- cloying. Cloying. Yeah. yeah. Muffins. A, I think muffins podcast. cute. Don't use I, words like that. I would say <laughs> muffins. I think when you add an S at the end, peppers, I think, is a cute name. Muffins. No, I like it clunky and weird. Muffin. I, I want to shout muffin, and I want to see a, I want to see a sentient being turn its head at me. <laughs> What would your aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt say about something she heard on the podcast today? Would you want to throw my dog into the oven, you son of a bitch? (laughs) Uh, My Aunt Joanne would say, I think you have pretty privilege. (laughs) (laughs) My Aunt Anne would say, you know who's a douchebag? My neighbor. He still has not brought back my shovel. Always bitching about that neighbor. (laughs) Well, for this episode of the podcast, thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Glazer. Brent Sullivan. H. Allen Scott. It's a good show.